With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Pour one more beer for me. Exile needs quality. So savagely. Best beer in all the land. Brewed with a loving hand. From bottle, keg, or can. Exile Brewing. E-X-I-L-E. For me. E-X-I-L-E. Let's drink. Pick up a 12-pack today. Enjoy your Podcast, John Miller along with Rob Howe, and we recorded this on Wednesday, the sixth day of September. If it sounds a little different, uh, I'm in my car, my daughter's in church, Rob's at home, but you know what? You guys demand more and more podcast inventory, so we are here for you, so uh, I'm sure that you can bear with it. Rob, um, let's look backwards before we look forwards. Your thoughts on Iowa's 24-3 win against Wyoming? Uh, yeah, overall, John, I I guess it was close to what I expected, I would say. Um, you know, some struggles offensively, which I guess we could anticipate with new coordinator, new quarterback, new offensive line coach, new quarterback coach. Um, but they made plays when they had to. Uh, I know that's cliche, but they, they, you know, they were able to cash in when they could. Um, and the defense was lights out. The defense was good. I thought the defense would be good coming into the season. Uh, they were better than advertised on Saturday. Um, I don't know, maybe had that had something to do with maybe overrating Wyoming a little bit. Uh, Josh Allen clearly is an NFL quarterback. Some of the throws he made were, you know, you, you could tell um, with, with his arm strength and his ability to move and things like that. But uh, they were lacking a receiver and running back, and uh, Iowa pretty much took away anything they wanted to do. Uh, obviously, I know we'll talk about it more, a much bigger challenge this week, but uh, Racinos I thought was good. Um, you know, hit his field goal, hit his three extra points, and three touchbacks, and um, the two that he didn't hit touchbacks on, I think were downed on the 12 and the 17 or 19 of Wyoming. So that was kind of a, one of those things we've talked about on the podcast of, you know, specialists, how do you replace Kaluzzi? Um, the kickoffs were great the other day, so that was a good sign. Punting with Colton Rastetter still a little, eh, we'll see how that one goes, especially with the win to Jack Trice. Um, that one is a little bit more concerning at this point, but I would say overall a pretty good first effort. When did we get to the point, when did you get to the point where you weren't necessarily concerned with the defense going into the season? Because I remember back to March, and maybe and maybe it's I'm getting old and my memory's fading, I just remember talking to a lot of people and defensive line being a pretty significant concern, secondary being a pretty significant concern, to get to the point where you said you felt like this was going to be a pretty good defense you know, really, to me, the first eyebrow raiser on that front I can recall was Phil Parker two weeks ago saying in a in a midweek press conference that he felt that the up front Iowa could be as good as he's had since he's been the defensive coordinator. I, I guess I, I I did not come into this season expecting 
that type of effort. And maybe it was a matter of overrating Wyoming. Maybe they'll come back to the mean, but that was dominant. W- when did you begin to think they would have a good defense? I think I started to move in that direction, John, at Kids Day. Um, the defensive line was better than I thought they would be that day. Um, that was the first time we got to see rotations. Uh, Matt Nelson moving inside. Um, you know, AJ, that was the first look, you know live look we got at him. Um, so I, I think at that point, the concern for the defensive line uh decreased quite a bit for me um i I felt like okay the the pieces are there i like this rotation idea um they're going against a veteran offensive line uh in this practice at kids day and and playing well um and then the secondary i thought would benefit from that i still didn't know um you know being put in a position where they have to make a play Will, will they be able to do that in the secondary? You're not always going to get to the quarterback, and you're not always going to be able to stop the run. Um, but they did that on Saturday. Josh Jackson had a, read that ball perfectly uh, on his interception. The one breakdown happened when Ojemudia got sucked up and got beat over the top. And fortunately for Iowa, C.J. Johnson uh, dropped that ball. Um, but that was really the only glaring error that yeah. I saw. I'm sure there were plenty of others, but just from a you know from the naked eye and watching it once, I haven't gone back and watch the film like you did, it seemed like they were where they needed to be, when they needed to be there, and the linebackers were better than we thought they would be. A veteran crew, um, but they were better than I thought they would be. Ben Neiman in particular, he was just outstanding on Saturday. When you have a Leo linebacker that can do that in coverage and support the run, it makes that defense that much easier for everybody else. Well, and, and those linebackers are going to play better when they have a front line doing what Iowa's front line did on Saturday. And you're right, really the the only, oh, crap, getting beat defensively was that drop by C.J. Johnson, and it was Ojemudia. And, you know, this week Manny Ragumba will slide back in. Before the season, everyone would have wagered um, likely that he would have been Iowa's best cornerback. Uh, I, I think most of us were pretty high on Josh Jackson, and he certainly lived up to that. So it's a good week to come back. Um, and, you know, we'll start to look forward here in a second. Offensively, you know, obviously Stanley's got to focus more on ball security. Uh, I, I kind of like what we saw out of the play calling, some, some breaks from tendencies, and I tweeted that during the game that I saw several things that we hadn't really seen all that much the last five years. Saw significant returns to Ken O'Keefe concepts when he was Iowa's offensive coordinator. I thought that that part of it was good. The offensive line, I probably would have given them a B minus, C plus. They're going to play a lot better, especially if James Daniels gets back this week because, you know, he's one of the five best at his position in the country. And I think that center position for Iowa is the second most important position on the offense. I thought Keegan Render filled, filled in admirably, um, but when you have a new center along with a new left guard in Ross Reynolds and a new left tackle uh, in Alaric Jackson, um, that was a lot to ask. They did run to the right a lot behind mm-hmm. Becker and um, and Sean Welsh, which was a smart move, uh, but I agree with you. I mean, if they can get Daniels back in that middle and slide Render back over to left guard, maybe bring Ross Reynolds in occasionally. Uh, I don't know how, how they're going to rotate. You know, Kirk said yesterday, being Tuesday, we're on, we're on Wednesday right now, um, 
that Boone Myers would play if he's healthy, and I think he's getting towards that. So you have some more bodies there. So all, to me, only good things can come out of Saturday in that new guys got their feet wet and Render got you know a chance to play in because Daniels has been dinged up each year he's played. Um, he's dealt with injuries. So it, they now have depth at that position that maybe it would have been a question mark behind that initial four, five or six. They now have depth behind that five or six. Um, so they're deep on both lines. And that's, that's usually, usually good things happen uh, when Iowa's deep, deep on both of the lines. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. All right, let's get caught up to uh, Tuesday of this week. As we Again, we record this on Wednesday the 6th, Tuesday the 5th. Kirk Ferentz, Iowa football players were made available to the media. What were some of the highlights and takeaways you came out of that with to me uh you know kirk ference was uh offended a couple of times during that press conference <laughs> yeah, the, the highlight of the day was kirk being pissed off at two different people uh or two two one person and and, and kind of a, a narrative i guess um yeah i mean i we've been through this for years john with the you know, it's Iowa State Super Bowl, and Iowa doesn't care enough. It's just tired, man. I'm tired. Of, I don't write about it that much anymore, um, other than to joke about it. Um, and I agree with Kirk. I would be offended, too, if I was a competitor and somebody that, you know, prepared for this game and and somebody was saying I didn't care enough. I, I would be offended as well. Um you know, for whatever reason, he's nine and nine. Uh, we can go and nitpick through each game. For the most part, though, John, it's because the teams are closer in talent. And 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 I know there are years where Iowa State goes on and falls apart as this, you know as the year goes on. Um, but for the most part, when they meet in the second or third week of the season, when you know two developmental programs meet, they're usually pretty close. Last year was obviously an aberration, I think, with Matt Campbell being Matt Campbell's first year. Um, but overall, I think it, it, and this year, not what you know included right in there, I think is is as close on paper as I remember it being in a long time. Um, so yeah, and then the Cunningham thing. Um, I don't know how much you want to talk about this. It's I, you know. If, Personally, just my opinion on this, I thought he should have pulled CJ. This coach should have pulled CJ in that game earlier. Um, but I don't think it was an egregious mistake, and I thought Eddie Cunningham went overboard. Yeah, I think he went overboard. I mean, I, I do agree with you. I think Beathard should have come out earlier because it was difficult for him to protect himself. And I will say this about Cunningham. Um, I, I, I would take his comments to the New York Times – his moralistic stance on stepping away from the game, I would take it a little more seriously if, you know, dude wasn't also talking about all these great, you know, directing options and that and other career that he has in the same article. It's easy to make a moral stand. You know, if the guys at the Alamo would have had a back door, we probably wouldn't remember the fight at the Alamo because they'd have probably taken it. Um, so anyway, that's, that's my comment on that. Um, but, you know, here... I've been one, and, you know, I had a podcast this week with Chris Williams from Cyclone Fanatic where I've said that I've felt that Iowa State seems to take it more seriously. I've never felt that Kirk Ferentz doesn't want to win the game. He wants to win every single game. I, I said as much in the podcast, if not exactly like that, the sentiments were there. But I've heard Iowa players too many times after losses against Iowa State say, well, they were more prepared than we were. We just didn't match their intensity level things of that nature and that's what's always kind of gotten under my skin because and there's more than one way to skin a cat 
And oftentimes when you come out and you spend all that energy early on, it can be nervous energy, it can empty your tank and things of that nature. I just, you know, maybe maybe all that is just, you know, cliche speak from players and they don't really mean it and they don't know how to necessarily in the moment articulate exactly what or why and they don't really want to. And maybe it's closer to that. I just don't, I've never liked hearing those things because it just... It, I don't know. Maybe it's just bad memories of being in Ames and seeing those Iowa State fans swarm like a, you know, a, a bait ball of garter snakes in the rut. And, and I, I, I agree with you. I mean, you never want to hear that from the team you, you know, you, you follow or cheer for. Um, you never want to hear that they were outworked or didn't have enough intensity. But it's not just. I, I would say it's not just um, true in the state in, in the case. Of Iowa State, I've heard that after other games against Minnesota that they've lost, or right. Northwestern, or whoever. So it's, I don't think it's unique to the Iowa State matchup. It's just more magnified because it's so important to everybody in this state. Um, and there have been times where Iowa State's just looked like they wanted it more, but I don't think that's unique to this rivalry. I think it happens. Um, they're they're eighteen to twenty three year old kids for the most part, and it's hard to tell what goes on in their minds. Uh, uh, you know, when they get out there on the field Saturday, somebody's got girlfriend problems. Uh, somebody's not doing well in class. Uh, somebody's dealing with an injury. Who the heck knows? But um, I think for the most part, um, if you if you were in both locker rooms before the game you would see an equal amount of intensity that's just my 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 you know instinct on you brought something up earlier that i've never really thought about and that is the timing of this game and the nature of these two programs you said that when you have two developmental programs playing this early in the season and oftentimes it's the second game of the season most most every year of the Ferentz era with very few exceptions 2001 being one of those because of the 9-11 attacks pushed that game to the end of the year that you given the timing given the developmental program that, that both programs are and that things aren't really worked out that you, you do see some unexpected things. Maybe you do have an opportunity for the teams to play a little closer to, to even than what they might be on paper later in the year. And it made me think, well, you know, for the better part of, of our lifetimes, the, you know, the Bedlam game between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, that's after Thanksgiving. The Iron Bowl uh, between Auburn and Alabama is after Thanksgiving. Michigan-Ohio State is has been the last game of the season in the Big Ten. The Egg Bowl between Ole Miss and Mississippi uh, late, late in the year. The same with the Apple Cup with Oregon and Oregon State. So all these other in-state and or burning rivalries we have in the sport, those games are played late in the year after you've had a chance to work through a lot of your kinks and iron things out. Whereas Iowa, Iowa State is right up front. And there may be more to that. There may be more to that, and that, that I've never considered. So, Robbie, how you made me think tonight? <laughs> you know, the big difference in those is, and the, another unique thing about this rivalry is different conferences. Most of those other ones you reeled off, those teams are in the same conference for the most part. Um, whereas, you know, Iowa and Iowa State, despite being in the same state, are in different conferences, and kind of like. 
you know, they renewed the Penn State and Pitt rivalry. That, I think, is played this week, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. as well. Um, a non-conference game, the same kind of deal. So I think there would be challenges to moving it to the end of the year. Not that that's what you're implying no. or saying that we've done. Just, it's, more, it's just a different – it's just a different – um, animal when you play it at the you know beginning of the year as opposed to the end of the year. No doubt about it. Um, anything from the players stand out at you from from the tweets that I saw from you and other media members? Most of these guys were basically downplaying the game, saying it's just another game, which doesn't really you know help the narrative of uh, getting up for it. But um, you know, with like, what what one exception, Miguel Brasinos might have said something that that had any importance to it. Yeah, it was it was pretty. Um, I think the message um, to the players from the coaches was, hey, no bulletin board material. And they certainly stuck to that. And they're just, I mean, even the veteran guys like Josie Jewell and Akram Wadley, they were pretty reserved yesterday. Um, you know, and like you said, kind of downplayed things. And you just hope that's the, you know, the face they put on publicly. Um, and then inside, you know, they, they still have to deal with walking around that locker room and listening to the Iowa State fight song all week that Chris Doyle plays at a high volume. So I'm sure they'll be prepared. I'm not, they're just not going to give us any ammunition going into that game. I think they're, that's probably what the what the directive was coming out of the coaches' meeting uh, early in the week. Yeah, I don't I don't have any doubt about that, that it was a directive from on high. And, uh, well, they, they, they certainly executed that rather well. Um, your thoughts as we head into this Iowa-Iowa State game in Ames, the unpredictability, I just have visions of 2005 and 23-3 to and then the shaggy 15-3 to game. I think that was in 2007 when Mike Klinkenborg was lined up on Philip Bates and Brett Meyer lobbed one up on fourth down when Iowa was in a cover zero blitz and set up, you know, the fifth and deciding field goal game. Those are the things that, that come to mind when I think, you know, that over double overtime game a few years ago, you know, steel jants, things of that nature. I just... Maybe it's just ghosts of the past that give me the willies about this, and, and I don't feel all that great about it. Uh, this will be my 10th trip driving from Iowa City over to Ames oh to cover this Oh, my gosh. Game. That's more than me. Yeah, I, Catherine and I were uh, taking a walk this morning, my wife Catherine and I, and we were talking about it. She has to listen to me <laughs> complain uh, about driving to away games. But, um, yeah, my 10th time over there, and I've never gone over there feeling comfortable uh, for Iowa, from an Iowa standpoint, um, it's just, as you said, there's just unknowns, weird stuff happens. Um, you know, in this game, as, as we talked about earlier, is just it's really close on paper. Um, and, you know, another, um, layer to it being so early in the season is we just we don't know a lot about these teams yet we don't know what's going to happen um we don't know how much of the playbooks they showed in the first week um just a lot of unknowns um for me um i picked iowa to win uh you know spoiler alert 23 to 17 if you want to read uh my my preview and prediction on on at hawkeynation.com i just feel john and you saw the iowa state game so i'm really interested to hear your opinion I was not paying for that. I was not giving Pollard money. <laughs> I was not. I was not dishing out money for that UNI game. Um, and I don't have MediaCom, so I couldn't get it that way. For me, though, um, before we dive in even you know further, 
Iowa's better up front on both sides of the ball, and for me, that's the difference. I, I think Iowa has a superior offensive line and defensive line, um, and it's as simple as that for me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, cast my lot with the old football in the trenches. Who's better in the trenches wins, and that's kind of my reasoning on this one. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna expense report that freaking 695 that I spent. I'm not, that's not coming out of the Miller Fund for sure. And by the way, I, I think I, I just, I just did a quick count. I think Iowa is five and four in games played in Ames since Kirk started, since you've been going. So, which they, they lost in 99, they lost in 01, they won in 03, they won in 05, they lost in 07, they won in 09, they lost in 11, um, they won in 13, and then they won in 15. So, yeah. you've been on the good side of those things. Yeah. The one that's it. The one that always stands out to me for some reason is that is that 05 game where Tate threw the pick and then got hurt. That one, that one was just lost in 05. You're right. I said one in 05, but yeah, they lost in 05. Yeah. yeah, that one still sticks out to me. So maybe I, I need to do my math a different way. I don't know. My head hurts from thinking about that many trips out. I, I think about that when I think about the 01 game when um, Grant Steen yeah. intercepted Iowa State deep in Cyclone territory and was returning the interception, and he had the ball stripped from him and fumbled. Um, boy, Ed Podolak was ticked off on the radio after that game. But uh, anyway, yeah, I, I watched the game, and, I, and I, Iowa State's offensive line, I don't think they're great. You know, Jake Campos is back for them. And, and you know, a couple of years ago over there, before Drew Ott, left the game for good Jake Campos had more than held his own against Drew Ott at that juncture um, so he's pretty good but other than that I, I don't think they're great up front so I think I was definitely going to get some some pressure on the quarterback I don't expect them to have a great deal of success running they do have a great running back in my opinion a dangerous running back in Montgomery but who ran well against Northern Iowa but but his yards were a lot to do with him than, as opposed to the Iowa State offensive line, you know, blazing trails for him. They're very dangerous in the passing game, and maybe I'm giving them too much credit, but quarterback Jacob Park has a rocket arm. He's a former Elite 11 four-star quarterback. He can throw the ball. Alan Lazard and company, you know, very dangerous and capable receiving targets. Iowa negated Lazard last year for all intents and purposes. Uh, and then defensively up front, they, they you know that three four alignment. I think Iowa can make some hay, but this this is a sucky way to make a prediction. But it's just more of a a bad feeling, and that's superstition, and that's just plain stupid. So anybody you know, Kit Schneiders, who whomever wants to run at me on the website, by all means bury me this week. But I'm gonna pick Iowa State to win the game. And I don't want that to happen, believe me, but that's just kind of the direction that my gut's feeling, and uh, let's just hope that's indigestion, uh, which it more than likely is. Yeah, and, and you know, I've got a 23-17, so I certainly would not be shocked at all to see it go the other way, or even surprised to see Iowa State win the game. As you said, there, Park is a really good quarterback that I don't think a lot of people know about. Um, and obviously, um, you know, the, if if he has time to throw, which we'll see, I think there's the, you know there's that progression of or that ladder of can they run the football to not get in you know second and third and long and let Iowa tee off 
can they can they are they able to run the ball? And then is he going to have time, or are they in second and third and long? And Iowa can get to him and disrupt him because the the prospect of you know of Lazard and Butler at six five and six six roaming free for too long in Iowa's secondary is a scary one. And there could be some big plays there um, with those two guys that are you know certainly that don't they don't weigh. Uh, what tight ends do, but they're certainly as tall as tight ends. And that, you know, we talked about earlier, um, Iowa secondary and some question marks there. If he has time to throw and those guys have time to get open, that we could be talking about, oh, what's going on with Iowa secondary after this game. Yeah, and, you know, I, I did quite a bit of um, football fundamental reading this week, which sounds weird, but... You know, the three – I don't watch a ton of NFL football just because, you know, there's a lot of work that goes on on Saturdays. Uh, so Saturday is usually a family day for me. And so I, I, I spent a lot of time reading this week on 3-4 defenses and just searching things out, you know, strategies to be the 3-4. And one of the more common refrains that I read and found was if you have the horses, a two-tight-end formation – and just going power football is one of the best ways to attack it. Uh, even if you wanted to go a too tight and fullback and running back, you and I got in trouble a few weeks ago when we did math on this. We had 12 offensive players on the field. But you've got your five offensive linemen, your quarterback, that's six. Your two tight ends, that's eight. Your fullback and running back, that's ten. And then one wide receiver flanked out. That means you're, you're going to have nine guys on ten or really 8 on 10 because you're handing the ball off. And I, I like Iowa's chances doing that, and similar to what they did against Ohio State a, a few years ago. So I like Iowa's chances doing that. I, I think you will see a lot of two tight end sets. You saw a lot of two tight end sets last week against Wyoming. And with James Daniels being back to, to help call out the count-up rushers and call out pass protections against what I expect to be a very, very aggressive Iowa State defensive front and attack. Again, James Daniels is big. I, I probably shouldn't go with Iowa State. Maybe I'm just being stubborn because before the season I gave Iowa a 4-10 chance of winning this, and I, I've, I've, made, I've changed my predictions in the past as we've got closer to the season. Um, I just haven't seen enough yet to make me want to do that, and I'm not saying Iowa State's a world beater, but it's early in the year as we talked about, and I, I've seen crazier things happen over there. Did, the, did their 3-4 remind you at all of what Wisconsin does? Because Wisconsin's given Iowa trouble with their 3-4, but I'll, uh, before people say that I'm comparing Iowa State to Wisconsin, Wisconsin's personnel obviously has been a lot better than what Iowa State has. Yeah, most no, more, most definitely. The, the athleticism at linebacker is not what we've seen at Wisconsin the last two to three years, which, by the way, Iowa State fan listening to this, don't take offense to that. What Wisconsin has had at linebacker the last three or four years is probably as good as they've had in a three- or four-year stretch in the history of their program. Um, they've been elite. And, you know, the, 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 the trigger that makes the 3-4 go, and this isn't breaking news, is your nose tackle. And a healthy James Daniels, I give the advantage to Iowa based upon, you know, what I've seen there. So, no, it did not remind me of Wisconsin. Oftentimes, they'd walk that one of the linebackers up and, and line him up on the ground with his hand on the ground on the wide side of the field, things of that nature. So, uh, I don't know if they can withstand the pounding, but they they go to that defense 
for the majority of their games they play in the Big 12 Conference because they don't see an attack like Iowa's with the exception of maybe Kansas State. So their defense is designed to play ball in a league that places an emphasis on track meets and not what you see in the Big Ten. So when Iowa has done their best in this game and dominated, when Iowa wins, they usually win convincingly in this game. Uh, it's because they exert their physical will and they dictate the terms. And with probably advantages on, on both lines of scrimmage, I should be more optimistic. But I know where you're coming from because I, I certainly um, entertain the possibility of pick, picking Iowa State in this game um, for all the things we've talked about. Um, 23-17 is getting beat one time on a play. Right. That's one time, and it's 24-23 game over. That, that's the thing that people, I think, sometimes don't realize about football. Touchdowns are worth seven points, and baseball or runs worth one. And, and a touchdown's worth six, then the extra point. So we're talking about one play. When we say, oh, they won by double digits, they won by ten points, that's two plays. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a narrow margin. Yeah, and I, and I basically, in my mind, I'm figuring there's three field goals involved there because I think Iowa, as you said, I think Iowa's going to be able to control the line of scrimmage and be able to run the football. That would be the biggest surprise of me going uh, on Saturday, for me, I should say, uh, would be if Iowa State stops Iowa's run. Right. Um, I, I just think Iowa's strength as an offense. There's still some question marks there in pass pro, um, and they have two dynamic running backs. So, regardless, like you said, I think they're going jumbo. I think they're going two tight ends, even with a fullback, maybe one wide, and running at him and saying, here you go, stop it. And I think Iowa State's going to struggle to stop it. It's the formula that I think they need to uh, uh, employ right now with with Stanley, who, who still is a work in progress. I think you need to run the football, control the clock, try to keep Iowa State's offense off the field. I think that's the winning formula for Iowa. Yeah, because if you do that, you know, Iowa State's game plan of getting all aggressive on blitzes and trying to hide where the blitz is coming from, you take all that and basically crumple it up and throw it in a trash can at that point in time. Because when you line up in two tight ends with a fullback set and one wide out, there's really little question about what you're going to do. And if, if that safety wants to come crashing down in, that's when you release, uh, that's when you release fan out on a scene. That's going to be your differentiator or where you go away from. And I know you rewatched the game. I don't know if you paid any attention to the blocking by Vandenberg and Easley on Saturday, but it was pretty damn good. I mean, especially on those plays where they ran sweep right or, you know, the zone to the right, um, and those guys were on that side. I, I went through my still photos, and those guys were throwing some heat, some heavy-duty blocks. Um, so it's almost like not exactly like putting a tight end wide out there, but those guys are both advanced and strong enough um, – uh, to, to be able to control a defensive back and clear them out of the play, um, and that's a big advantage. Yeah, I didn't see James Butler making the kind of blocks that he needs to make, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that first play of the game, I, I you know, I, I felt bad for him, but um, it is his first game at Iowa. You know, it's his first game, and he, I thought he looked good running the football, um, and it's a nice combo to have those two guys. We thought it would be good coming into the season, but uh, it played out on Saturday, and it's, it's going to be fun to watch those two as the season goes on. It did. It did. All right, that'll do it for this installment of the HN Podcast. 
thank you to Exile Brewing Company for once again being a great sponsor for what we do here with these podcasts. For Rob Howe, I'm John Miller. We'll talk to you soon.